We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Light Years Podcast. Andy and I are recording this at 9.30 on Sunday morning, 24-7 for the listeners. Just no days off, no time off. I haven't slept since Clay, you know, tore his Achilles. It's Jesus. just been nonstop. Jesus. Got the coffee right here. Uh, we got a special guest from the Washington Post and my favorite podcast, the greatest of all, yes. thought, the Goat Pod, Ben Golliver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. I mean, a couple questions. First of all, 9 a.m. on a Sunday morning. You guys just hop up out of bed ready to scream about Steve Kerr. Do, do, do you really actually have to get caffeine into your system before that takes place? And, um, you know, second question, do you pay Andrew Sharp by the mention? I mean, this guy name checks you on my show every episode. I can't tell. I mean, I get a little bit doing jealous, that for years, but I also, too. I, I think it's a little tacky. You know, it's like he finally he finally found some friends and it's like I've got to tell the whole world that I've got a couple of friends that we like text message. I mean, it's embarrassing. So you guys paying for it? I hope at least. Do we get some money off this? This is this is stage two of Lightyear's global enterprise. You know, day one we had to or stage one was we had to establish the base in the Bay Area. Right. Now we're getting right. affiliate members across the country. The next move, so we got we got sharp in the uh, the greater DC area. You know, we 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 got um, who do we got down in LA, Andy? Uh, we got we, we got anyone. You got a few moving. Then stage we're three working is on McMenamin. That's who we're working yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's the move. We get George Sedano in Miami. We're working on him. You know, we're getting getting him some work. But <laughs> that that is step two because our takes, Ben, it works. It works. The beard, they love him, right? It works enough. Yeah. But we got it. We got to get it or out there in Dallas or they hate them, or yeah. they hate them whatever. <laughs> but we really got to. That's why a month ago when when uh, when we uh, Haberstroh wrote an article about, um, oh, 
you know, maybe the Warriors should do more Steph pick and roll or have the ball in his hands. And Sam and I are just sitting here. Yeah. That's all we need to hear. You're want. influencing the influencers. Look, it's just an honor. It's an honor to be in your presence. You know, I can just for this morning, I can hang in and be the uh, be a Southern California Bureau. I was actually <laughs> thinking about you because, I mean, this is pretty much the Steph Curry day of vacation hour. It seems like it's all you guys ever do is talk about Steph. And I was remembering back. Do you, so do you want West, us to talk about Michael Mulder? Like there's not a lot going on with the Warriors <laughs> right now. No, I know. I'm just endlessly impressed by your ability to find new Steph Curry um, oh. like angles, you know. But I was thinking about uh, this tour I took of the Chase Center before it was built, actually by Rick Welts, who I think recently stepped away. And it was kind of an odd, strange experience. Like we get there and there's like a hard hat with Kevin Durant's name on it. And it was like right in the middle of, you know, kind of the weird season is KD leaving. Everybody's like walking on eggshells. And for whatever reason, Rick Welts is like, well, I can't wear that one. Better wear a different hard hat. I, I think he just didn't want like the KD hat in the picture for whatever reason. Maybe it was already starting to get a little sensitive. So he takes me through this entire just like glamorous experience of, okay, here's where we're going to have the wine cellars where Andy and all of his ABGs are going to go hang out. Like, here's where we're going to have, um, you know, like the really nice like club meals and all this stuff. So I'm just loving it. And he's explaining the financing side of it to me. Right. And he's like, yeah, we put up all the money. We basically had to like get San Francisco on board. It took years. It's billions of dollars. We didn't take any public money. We're going to have boats coming back and forth to the arena. Like it's this huge pitch he's giving me. And about halfway through, I was like, man, this seems like an awful lot of risk. Like you're bringing in all the employees yourself. Like, you know, you don't have any other contractors. You guys are consolidating everything. It's such an ambitious project. Like what happens if something goes wrong? Right. And uh, at that point it was like peak light years. Right. I mean, the Lakeups were convinced this is going to be like a 45 year dynasty where it's just like title after title, after title, breaking the league. Oh. And he's like, well, you know, there is the possibility, you know, for a downside, of course, um, I think. And he, and he said that we're relatively well prepared for it. And he kind of gave me some answer. Little did I know, 18 months later, we're going to have a pandemic where all those wine cellars are empty and he can't get his groove on down there. And they're just sitting there looking at this building kind of like as his empty palace. And the point of this story I actually think their insurance policy the whole way was Steph Curry, right? I think that they were looking at this entire billion dollar, $2 billion investment and gamble and being like, well, in an absolute worst case scenario, we still have seven years of Steph selling jerseys around the entire world. We still have him getting everybody there, you know, sitting courts at however many fans we can have in the building. They'll pay insane prices just to watch Steph do his thing. And so it's just a different way to look at these franchise level players. Like it used to be one thing, oh, wow, LeBron can like get them to sign his buddies, you know, from clutch sports and get them onto the roster. And now we're talking about like a major architectural accomplishment in the Bay Area, San Francisco itself. To me, it doesn't happen with Steph. So call it the building that Steph built. But I just thought that was wild to think about because, you know, ultimately they didn't feel like there was that crazy a down, uh, downside risk because, they could just cake off Steph for at least seven years. That was the, the impression that I took away. I now leave it to your responses. I mean, people in the Bay Area know this. Like, you can go half mile down the road, yeah. uh, AT&T yeah. Park, or I guess now it's Oracle Park. It's weird calling it Oracle because I always think of where the Warriors used to play when I hear Oracle. Anyway, that doesn't get built without Barry Bonds. Yep. It's like the house that Barry Bonds built. The Giants could never get any sort of funding. And then next thing you know, they have the best player in baseball, and it's a show, and they get a ballpark built. I, to, to my deathbed, I'll say Chase does not get built without Steph Curry. Like San Francisco politics are 
difficult to navigate. I mean, generally all California cities are that way, but he was, I mean, he is what one of the best shows in all of sports across the globe. I think that made it a little easier to convince like the board of supervisors who are typically just a pain about any sort of building that they want, they want this taxable income in their city limits. Sam, and, Sam and now we're taking this to the real estate. Sam, hour. Sam, is, Sam speaking from experience. That's why I had nothing, I had nothing there for you. I had nothing there for you. Um, I'm just picturing Sam with a big pair of scissors and some ribbon cutting. I mean, he's, he's deep in this game. So look, I'm not trying to swim <laughs> in, in those waters. It just was amazing. I keep thinking back on that moment in part because uh, Rick Welts just stepped away. Right. And this is obviously like kind of a different era for the Warriors when you're talking about like, can we afford to pay Kelly Oubre this insane number to like bring him in to maybe try to boost things up? And I mean, frankly, it's been a high school team this year. It's like the coach's son is by far the best player and all of his friends suck. And it's just like, all right, well, some nights they look great. Some nights they, they look terrible. And it's been quite the roller coaster for you guys. But I just kept thinking about that conversation with Rick Welts because clearly whatever they imagined their worst case scenario to be here, you know, during, during that whole planning process didn't involve like 95% I mean, of fans. Not I mean, I can, attend, you know, I can tell you they probably sat through hundreds of hours of meetings on earthquake safety and how to <laughs> handle the chase center. If, you know, a natural disaster happened, it was at no point was anyone like, so what are you going to do if we have to shut this down for 18 months because there's a global pandemic? It was, <laughs> right when you open it. <laughs> right. And, and then Steph breaks his and breaks his hand too. It was, um, it, it's like basically Dr. Strange saying there's one scenario. There's one scenario. And what is it? 43 million? 43 million that, that Thanos takes over the world. That, that one scenario that, that they actually win. Um, I, I, you can also see the Warriors not spending money. I mean, they, they last year, they, at the deadline, offloaded some stuff. This year, they did spend on Kelly Oubre. They did spend $80-plus million in taxes, but they shortchanged a little bit at the deadline as well as, as, well as not using the disabled player exception. Again, like, they're not going to do anything with that player. Even if they had gotten someone, they're not winning the championship, but they didn't spend it. Like, that was free money, right? That was a free roll. They didn't yeah. use it. My, so. my perspective's like, I, I'm not mad at them for spending because like, even without spending the DPE, they oh, are, of course. they have the highest payroll in the, By like far. it's them, it's them, school and, team. it's them and the Nets are like difference of a couple hundred thousand. I can't remember who three superstars the Nets. Have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the Nets are actually getting what they're paying for. Um, <laughs> well, uh, it's more what the Warriors are paying for that. Like, it, it's like, it's great. You're willing to go into the tax, but for what? You know, so it's more like the decisions they're making, not the willingness to spend. Now, if they decide to not spend on top of it, then we can get really frustrated. But it's been more of a, um, I don't know, you give us your impression. You cover the entire league. I know you're not in the weeds of how Michael Mulder's coming off of screens and his shooting form the way Andy and I are. What, what's your impression of the Warriors? Well, I mean, I think that that Ubre thing raised my eyebrows. I think they're the only ownership group in the league that would have made that decision. And it almost seemed like it seemed a little bit desperate. But at the same time, it did seem like they were trying to send a message and a little bit of a flex like, hey, you know, we're still this team from a few years ago. And I think one of the biggest developments this season, like I said, the dynasty was over when Katie got injured and Clay got injured and then Katie left. Like to me, that was the end of that era and it was time for something new. And I know there was like a real continuum of opinions about like, can you resuscitate? It doesn't have to be like this new thing. And I, I feel like this year, um, you know, a lot of people have moved into the acceptance phase on that. And I think that's healthy because that's the only path forward. Like if you're going to reconstruct a title team around Steph, which I definitely think you can when you're watching how he just played in April, 
I mean, just ludicrous numbers and finally doing it in the way that I think some of us had kind of been hoping, you know, from a usage standpoint that he would be able to do it. Um, you know, it was important to say, hey, look, we can't just ride whatever happened two or three years ago. I mean, that's an eternity in the NBA. So I think that was a healthy development. I, you guys did mention the Nets, and I was coming on here, um, you know, to ambush you a little bit. I mean, personally, I do believe Andy Lou ruined the dynasty. Um, I think he was in- incredibly <laughs> disrespectful to my guy KD for about two and a half straight years there, took him for granted. And I'm just wondering, uh, you know, Andy, like now that you're seeing him just thrive, I mean, granted, he's, you know, sits out half these games this year. It's been driving me crazy. Um, but you're seeing him thrive with his new family over there on the East Coast. And I mean, is there some jealousy or is there some regrets? You know, do you start to see like, wow, maybe we shouldn't have chased this guy off. Maybe we should have propped him up as a deserving finals MVP and all these other things. I do remember uh, every podcast with Sharp. It was, you know, Katie's not getting enough credit. Katie this, Katie that. I do remember. I think you might have been one of the few yeah. media, people in media that, that would that would feel that way. I remember that. It's a tough sell. I mean, this guy's <laughs> arguing with Michael Rappaport on Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, it's not easy. That's a difficult corner to defend. Who of, who of us hasn't defend. done that, though? <laughs> it's a difficult corner to defend, okay? I'm not proud of it, but I'm telling you, this guy can ball. So when you're well, seeing what they're up to, I mean, what, what do you think? You know, I, I think that I would I want to see how he reacts when they do win a championship. Now, I think at this point, they're pretty much the heavy favorites, right? We assume that Harden's going to come back at some point. I, I just, like, is he even going to be that happy if they win a championship? You know, like, I, I don't know. He seems different. Like, the Twitter responses now versus how he was in Golden State, pretty funny. Like, in Golden State, he would DM media people, like Warriors media, which is a little weird. Now he just goes on Twitter and roasts, like, people with 10 followers. But that's funny. Like that stuff is funny versus like going after your Connell Eternals of the world for no reason. Yeah, but you and I, you and I both know he did some of that replying when he was in the Warriors, and when he was on the Warriors, it was weird and insecure. Sam's getting to the point I think where people don't care, and I want to see his reaction when that happens. People don't care about the Nets, is what I'm trying to say. People cared about him on the Warriors; they cared to hate him. That's one thing because it's the Warriors, it's Steph Curry, LeBron didn't win a title. I'm fascinated now. I mean, of course, we want him on the Warriors, but I'm fascinated now if and when he wins a title this season with Harden, who also nobody cares about. Um, what happens then? Do people say like, oh, this is one of the greatest teams of all time? And by like we, I mean like the masses of people. What are the ratings? Like, do people actually care about that versus because I feel like people care about, you know, that Cleveland team, the Warriors team, you know, uh, the the Miami team. Uh, the Spurs, uh, the Spurs. I know you love the you, Spurs. You but, either love them or hate them, but, but, yeah, but like those teams but, but, evoke some sort of emotional response. What happens when KD says, "Well, we want a title," and people just say, "Well, this is a stack team anyway," and nobody really cares? Then what happens? Th- then what happens? Like if he's still on on the same same step as LeBron, then what happens? I'm fascinated to see that. I mean, it'd be cool if he played on the Warriors again. I'm just I'm just curious. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that first of all, before we even get there, whether people watch these games or not from the Nets, they're rooting like heck for the Nets to lose, right? So I think that's that's just like forcing all these feelings of like whether it's insecurity, if you want to use that, or just defensiveness or like feeling like you're getting shortchanged. I think that's just going to exacerbate throughout this playoffs because all those guys have huge chips on their shoulders, whether it's Kyrie, Harden, and Katie, you put them all together. I think that just magnifies the size of the chip. Um do you think he chose the Nets because of the relative lack of their fan base? And after sparring with you guys in Golden State, the absolute psychos, do you think it was, I mean, because ultimately it's coming down to like Warriors, Knicks, Nets, you know, and maybe a few other options. But 
to realize that there's not a Brooklyn equivalent of the light years, right? Uh, to kind of like, you know. No, nah, I think he, I'm going to go to my grave saying if he had the opportunity, he would have rather created his own super team with the Knicks. But it just wasn't there. The timing wasn't right there. Like, imagine if he was coming up on free agency this summer with the Knicks yeah. back. Like, they're kind of a fun, cute story. I mean, they're not going to do anything, but like, they're respectable again. Then KD would have come in and been the savior, their first superstar since Melo, if you consider Melo superstar. And I, I think, I think, I really do think that's probably what he wanted. But if you go back to 2019, like, was there a more toxic like just like a worse situation like place you absolutely do not want to hit your wagon to than what the knicks were two years ago i know that's what i mean like the story's changed so quickly right um well okay so you guys are basically ducking all responsibility for no, this wait, I, I, I appreciate that i do i do <laughs> i do one more thing there is one more thing i do think he is like another guy that is online so much that he thinks that he views fans from a lens of twitter i do think that's one thing with, with katie like he thinks that because he argues with some Warriors fans that say, well, you only scored 30 points a game in the finals because Steph got double teamed. Like, he sees that yeah. online from, like, yeah. four people. And he goes, well, fuck Warriors fans, right? Like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then where he goes to the Knicks, and I see your point kind of there, where the Knicks, like, I don't know, like, outside of a couple guys. I follow a couple guys, so I'm not going to kill them. But, like, outside of a couple guys, it's not, not huge, right? And they're not a dynasty either. Um, I think he's, like, I think it's, he just, he's online too much. But is that shocking? Yeah. And then I think that's how he views Warriors fans. I still think that's how he views Warriors fans to this day. Like I'm going to like there's a small minority makes up the mass of fans who love him. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna push back on that a little bit. I, I really don't think it's as much about feeling appreciated by the Warrior fan base as it is you're right. No matter how dominant right. the Warriors were, he has to hear. Right. LeBron Nick fans right. and that whole thing saying these rings don't count. Yeah. He didn't right. do anything to earn them. I think that was the bigger driving force, no matter how great the Warriors played. And like that 2017 team was probably the greatest team of all time. Um, definitely had the greatest playoff run of all time. None of it mattered. It wasn't appreciated um, nationally. I actually think it was super appreciated locally. The, well, hold on. And, the, and this is a good segue here, Ben, for you. Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr. And you're talking about after that win where he, where they, be, where they won the title and Steve Kerr goes and says, well, LeBron's still the best player in the world. You know, it's cool with Steph Curry on the team. Steph don't give a crap. Like he's just like, whatever it's, it's Steve being Steve. Kevin, on the other hand, I don't think he's all in on the, uh, on the whole Steve being a, you know, funny guy type of stuff and not changing the offense type of stuff. Like, I think that was a, that was also a big part of it too. Let's just put it this way. I mean, if if they have a title parade for Brooklyn this summer, they actually win it. Steve Nash is not going to be cracking jokes about, oh, you know, or like, you know, bowing nope. down to LeBron. Um, he's also <laughs> – they're not going to have the television broadcast. Ian Eagle's not going to be up there being like, hey, KD, uh, you know, Steph can have whatever dynamite. contract he wants, you know. Like, there, it's just a different formulation. And it was a little bit awkward. I think you're right. I mean, they, they didn't get the validation that the, he expected for sure. And I actually think his response is not to like chase a pure version of that. I actually think it's kind of been to like pull himself back in the cocoon and say, look, I don't really care what everyone else on around the outside thinks. I'm more focused on like having fun with my friends, playing buddy ball, doing it our way. And if we do get the credit or we don't, because, hey, everybody hates Harden, everybody hates Kyrie, and we just stack the deck. Well, so be it. We stack the deck and we're happy and we're having a good time. 
I mean, I think a part of him is always going to yearn for that validation of being the best player in the world because that's what he was chasing for 10 years of his life. But you know, I think he's probably reached the the stage where he's given up on everybody, right? He's like given up on the masks and the intelligentsia that they're ever going to be able to view him that way because I just haven't seen there being any rallying around KD now that he's in Brooklyn, right? Like the excitement factor of like, hey, it's this new chapter and he's going to do it his way. I think it's more just I mean, like an appreciation for his skill and that his yep. like narrative has kind of been tainted forever, right? To be fair, he's missed two-thirds of the season. So it's hard to get the rallying around someone who's not on the court. Like there was a rallying around him at the beginning of the season when everyone was like, wait, did he actually even tear his Achilles? He looks exactly the yeah. same. And then it's the hamstring. And it's that's that's where I get a little worried, you know, because and because that, that's nothing with Clay. Yeah. Well, yeah, we can take that. Well, let's take this back to the Warriors, yeah. but it's like just one last point on KD. It's like, uh, will his body allow him to be the guy he was on a consistent basis? Like, I know he can do it any given game because yep, he's that yep. talented, but it's just game series. Four it just them. seems like, yeah, you know, he can't just take a week off because I mean, yep. Maybe, well, maybe maybe, maybe in the first yeah. round. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe maybe a few of those rounds, honestly, Kyrie and Harden can get it done without yeah. him. But like, definitely, yeah. he can't miss any finals games. If they right. get to the finals against the Lakers and everyone's fully healthy, he Lakers can't. You know, make the finals. He's gonna know. need to. He's gonna need to play the thirty-eight to forty minutes yep. that like LeBron or whoever's playing two for them to win there. And that's where it just kind of sucks with the health. So. Yeah, you know, for sure. I mean, he's he's looked better at times to me than I expected, especially early this season. But also, he's missed so much time. You could say it's a blessing. Like, I think for AD and LeBron, like, them missing time actually was a blessing, especially for LeBron, who was just, like, you know, gunning out of the gates, trying to chase this MVP to, like, That's actually wild. be able to get a break. Um, I think it was smart. For AD, his midseason absence was only three days shorter than their entire offseason, which is crazy to think about. So, I think that actually, you know, if you could have done it a little bit earlier in the year, that would have been better. So they have more time to kind of gel and get right for the playoffs. But I think that they would have run out of gas if they had just kept going through completely healthy. Just a weird year. Um, in terms of Clay, I'm curious on this because how much do we see his game, the nature of his game changing after this injury? And I think that he's tried to depress expectations a little bit, try to let people know, hey, I might not be completely the same guy like straight out of the gate next year. But when I think about Clay's attributes, I mean, activity is like right up at the top of the list, right? Like being able to stop and pop, being able to move all around the court on offense. It's not that he's dribble driving through traffic and all that, but he's just excellent at creating space off the ball, balancing the court, and then making you pay like instantly. I mean, the so only guy is, who runs more than him is his teammate, essentially. Yeah. So, right. In shape, guys. Yep. Right. And that's like the, the core identity of those groups, right? It's just like, we're going to exhaust you and break you mentally. And we're just, if you get, if you let up for a second and a half, bam, three pointer in your eye from anywhere in the court, right? But also defensively, I mean, Kay, uh, Clay would get down in his stance and work like a dog. You know, I mean, he would hound people well outside the three point line, fighting over screens, doing whatever he has to do against really tough matchups. And playing, you know, relatively big minutes, especially in the playoffs. So with Kevin, I've actually seen him doing a lot of relaxing on defense this year, right? I mean, it's it's definitely picking his spots. He's not exactly coming over hard from the weak side to challenge guys at the rim and like use his length to block shots on that regular basis, right? I'm just wondering in the best case scenario for the Warriors, like if Clay is not able to be like a lead defensive perimeter guy, or you want to save him a little bit. Um, or even if he's just not as quick and as physical on the ball as he used to be, or as uh, just play to play locked in because the, the Achilles would hold him back. 
that makes me a little bit nervous. That changes a little bit of if his value to me. What do you see that looking like? I have uh, I have two thoughts. If you don't mind, I'll go first. Uh, one, I'm worried about his durability more than his offensive game. He's once he shakes the cobwebs, he's going to be able to come off of screens and hit shots at probably the same clip as he always has. Uh, I don't think he's going to lose any of that shooting touch or uh, anything there. I worry about. Can he play over 25 minutes a game next year? Probably not. How, how often does he need to rest? What does the plan look like? Because we can talk about how great KD and John Wall have looked physically this year. Neither of them are Ironmen anymore, you know? So that's concern number one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're two, tanking, but they're done. Two, I, I, I the, think... The saddest moment of this season, real quick, was when he called himself the Rockets franchise player. I mean, that, I just... <laughs> that was... I'm not, I'm not even trying to be... I, honestly, that was just sad. I'm not trying to make a joke about it, but that when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, I really hope that's not the case for everybody, you know? <laughs> Christian, keep Christian Wood in there. But the, keep, the, keep going, yeah, I was going to say, the <laughs> second thing is, I think his days of guarding guards are over. I think he's going to yeah. be guarding small forwards, maybe power forwards. To be fair, he was already doing that before the injury. Like the the underrated thing about Clay is he's super strong, super strong. Like yeah. I would, uh, I would almost say like his ability to guard like a guy like Kawhi Leonard. He yeah. was he was honestly better at guarding someone who's trying to physically bully him than chase like the quick guards around. He was figuring out Kawhi it. in 2019. He had that, you know, the it, you know, still to this day, we think it, it could it would have gone to seven. Um, Sam and I aren't a high on it. I don't think we think that he's coming back ready to go by any means, which amplifies the issue that they haven't developed anybody that could be a rotation player next season, right? Like the excuse that we hear from, from good old Fitz and, uh, and, and the front office on down and even the coaching staff, especially when they leak stuff, is that just wait till Clay comes back. Just wait till Clay comes back. Actually, it's not even leaks, Sam. They say it in pressers, especially before the season. Wait till Clay comes back. What's that? They're like, Damn, man, it's an ACL and an Achilles. What do you mean, wait till Clay comes back? That might be 2024. It might be never. We love Clay. We love Clay. But geez, like the guy's going to come back and he's going to play the, not even play defense. The days of him being a second option on a contender are gone. He, there, he, he's absolutely able to be a key contributor, in my opinion. But like, maybe you should be looking at him more like what Joe Harris is to the Nets as like a third option who can just get hot out of nowhere and not like, I need well, you to score 30 plus in the playoffs every game. Well, yeah, I think maybe in between. I think <laughs> Joel Harris, but I think there's an in between. Like he's better, but he's also not as good as a, a second option. Although I'd argue like he was, I guess, he, I don't know if he was always a great second option, but either way, it doesn't matter, right? Like I think that's that's a tough part where they need great players. They need to develop those guys. They need, look, they need to look at either training future assets for those guys, right? Or figuring that out. I don't know if they have. Like that's, that's what Warriors fans have been the angriest about this season is that, Okay, maybe this season we understand that they're not going to be great, but how about next season then? What happens? You cannot say that Clay's solving these issues. No, I'm with you guys for sure. I mean, that's what honestly, this is part of the reason why I came into this season as a big proponent of like throw Wiseman to the Wolves, give him as many minutes as possible, get him comfortable, and just really hope that he hits. And like, I know that that was a big debate. You know, are you going to try to chase wins and do this around Steph? Or are you going to try to look towards development? And to me, there was no way you were going to be contending this year, no matter what, even if you just said, Wiseman, sorry, you get five minutes a game off the bench, right? Like, I just didn't ever see that with, with the rest of their talent. And I think the disappointing part here, and I don't know if you put this on Wiseman or the coaches or everybody or the, or the draft pick in the front office, is just 
he didn't hit nearly as much or even give you a lot of the flashes and the glimmers that I was expecting. I mean, I didn't think it was going to be some like 2010 out of the gate. Right. But I thought there was going to be a thing where you could start to picture it. Hey, you're two for Wiseman. He's given you really, really good minutes with the stars. And now you're moving forward. And the tricky part is like defensively, I mean, put up the offensive struggles aside, like defensively, how quickly is he going to be a positive impact maker on that end? I mean, that could be until you were talking about like, when's Clay going to be back? Three, four years. Yeah. yeah, You're right. Right. I mean, they could be on the same timeline there. So that's where it gets tricky. I mean, this does go back to like Steph Curry worship though. I'm not feeling any pressure from Steph at this point. And maybe you guys feel differently, but like, I don't, I'm trying to read between his comments and what he says. And I don't really feel like, um he's getting antsy you know and we saw that that column about Lillard and there's kind of some back and forth from you know the Chris Haynes column like was that really from Dame or is that from you know Chris kind of commentating from his own third person perspective but I haven't seen anything like that from Steph my guess is he's gonna resign for the max amount of money as quickly as he can we've actually seen a lot of stars do that because of the pandemic, in my opinion, just kind of influencing their decisions, to like get as much money and stability as you can during a weird you time. Even, you don't even know what the next CBA is going to look like. I mean, Correct. St- Steph has a chance to re-up this summer. The CBA expires in 2022, right? Yeah. So he'd be like, I think it might be one more year after that, but yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, he's either way, either way he's signing that thing. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows if we have a lockout, who knows what, you know, right. what any of that looks like uh, taking Correct. 55 million a year. Isn't the worst thing on earth. So, yeah. And, and if I was his age, I mean, I'm the kind of guy who wants guys to get titles no matter what. Like I always want, I don't want them to have the waste years of their life and everything else, but I think it's in his best interest to do it because of the stability factor and because of the added value of just being a one franchise guy and having that be his legacy and his branding and the loyalty factor is so huge for him. So um, if you're bringing him back on a big number and you've got clay on that huge number, you're kind of stuck, you know, I mean, you can be as good as you want with front office. You can go make a big gamble trade this summer. Um, but I still feel like you're going to probably be, well, that's I mean, why best case the, scenario, second tier, right? That's why the Wiseman thing was so frustrating to us because let's, let's walk through the Wiseman scenario. You, you said you wanted to see flashes. All of those flashes were in the first month. Yep. And then the, whatever the coaching staff did with him, he looked like he was in his own head the entire time. Like in the first month, we saw him going coast to coast like Giannis. Is that like a sustainable thing over the course? Of no, of course not. But like literally didn't see him go even try to go coast to coast after dribble the first month. or dribble. Right. Yeah. Or um, shoot threes. I know was, you're going to get there. Yeah. I was going to say he was shooting threes again, probably not a 40 plus percent three point shooter, but he, I don't know why you don't he could want get there. I don't yeah, know why don't you don't want him firing. Wow. That's yeah. I mean, it should be. Yeah. You and I, you and I, but he, he, the only way he's going to get there is by having a season where he's in the low thirties, but he's confident shooting it every time he's open all this stuff. Like, and, and that one's even more frustrating because no one was guarding him from three. Like, do we really want to create a, Dray- a Draymond 2.0 situation where it's like, even if he hits it, who cares? He's not going to take 10 of them. Right. You know? Right. Um, so that's frustrating. Then on top of it, you have the Lamelo looks like the cut and dry best player in the draft and like a true franchise piece. And we can get into why they didn't pick him, but it's there's blame to go around. It's not just the coaching; it's the front office. It's all of them, and that's They're, where it's that's where it's frustrating. They got the biggest gift on earth. What if they got Lamelo Ball? Either Lamelo could be that guy, or you know who probably has the most trade value in the league. Lamelo and like Zion because they're on rookie deals and you own them forever and they're clearly franchise guys. Well, 
I, I even I even pushed the Lamelo argument out of the way because I I think Warriors fans were like, okay, Wiseman, fine, we're we're okay with that pick, right? We'll live with that. I don't think it was like a. I think many Warriors fans were like, oh, it's it's Wiseman or Lamelo. It's not like he was Mac Jones, right? Like like James Wiseman not Mac Jones. Like I think most people were pretty happy. Like okay, Wiseman, he's got talent. He's seven feet tall, shoots threes, right? Another problem I think, and Sam didn't point this out, and we talked about a lot is he's playing the system doesn't doesn't make sense. Andrew Bogut himself said it. Uh, there's why why is Wiseman playing in a back to the basket um motion offense right? like, there's no playmaker they want him to like set up Steph Curry three-point shots like that's <laughs> not his kids game. kids 19 right he doesn't know how to play basketball he has no idea and he probably won't for another few years but at least try to make it easy I, I think that they just they failed to do that and I don't think I think the front office believes that too right but I think part of it this is is that's the issue it, it's not that Steve Kerr should have this team as a three seed or four seed it's just the incremental progress that you think you should get in a season where you're not winning just weren't there so what do you do now what do you do now because like you said Steph huge contract Clay huge contract Draymond massive contract then you've got the the Minnesota bullet the the draft pick and you've got Wiseman that's all you've got you've got two bullets right and and one of them's already losing value with Wiseman so what do you do then and I think that's kind of the source of the anger no, and I think that there's other stuff going around outside this Golden State um, situation that makes it even harder for them, right? So not only do you have a bunch of other stars re-signing long-term contracts just to lock up before, you know, because of the pandemic before the next CBA, but we don't have that same pool of disgruntled stars that we've had at previous times, right? So like I remember writing this article back, I don't even know, 2015, 2016 for SI, where I was like, we got five guys who are 25 who are all stuck in dead-end situations. And within like the next... I want to say 12 to 18 months, all of them moved. I mean, it was guys like DeMarcus Cousins, Paul George in Indiana. And there was just like really, very clearly this target list where like if you're a big sniper team with a brand new building, Steph Curry, you can go out and, and a bunch of guys, picks right? and something like that. And yeah, I mean, we get we don't have. Yeah, real quick. And we don't have that right now in terms of that pool. Uh, but also the price for those kinds of trades has skyrocketed because we have all these, you know, whether it's Brooklyn, whether it's the Lakers with some of their moves for Anthony Davis, James Harden, even the Bucks for Drew Holiday, they've just set that benchmark so high. So the question becomes like, I mean, is there one trade that you're willing to mortgage like five years of your future? The Clippers too, with Paul George, I should have mentioned that. Is there one trade where you're willing to mortgage both your draft picks, Wiseman, probably Draymond's salary, and probably multiple other future assets to get one player back? And where does that leave you? Carl Anthony Towns, but um, I mean, would you do that? Because I mean, I again, like, okay, you're bringing him in, man. He's not guarding anybody, yeah. you know. And that's that's part of. You know, I agree with Sam is, though. But I agree with Sam. The, uh, he's not my favorite player for that same reason. But here's one thing I do feel confident about: I feel more confident about the Warriors coaching staff making him defend than turning Ben Simmons into a shooting threat. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, uh, they've. Andrew Wiggins is a perfect case study. They've done nothing to make Wiggins a better offensive player, mostly because I just don't think anyone can get Wiggins to stop taking those Kobe type jumpers. Like it just is, he takes less shots now, so we can call that a win, but um, (laughs) they did get him. Like, I think he's, I think he's playing pretty good defense this year. Like he's, he's uh he's definitely an above average wing defender. He won't make an all defensive team or anything, but he's like at that tier He's he's playing up to his capabilities on defense. And Towns is another one of those guys where it's like, do I think he'll ever be Anthony Davis on defense? Of course not. 
but he's more than physically gifted and intelligent enough to be competent on defense. I also think the Warriors can't be nitpicky, right? Like KD's not walking through that door. You know, it's too late. Like he's not he he's not up. Although, like he came as a free yeah, agent, yeah, but it's like. They don't have the perfect situation where it's like, we don't have to give up anything we like and we can just absorb one of the three best <laughs> well, players they, in the world. They also, they also can't get a perfect, like, let's say Bradley Beal. Like, forget Towns. Like, I, I would do that for Cat too. But let's say Bradley Beal. You could also make the same argument, right? He's a little duplicative. He doesn't play any defense either. You can make those arguments, but end of the day, it's like, damn, he's good. He's really freaking good. Like, I do that too. And I don't think there's Giannis. All, the, all like, of a sudden, every time Steph's double team, the defense actually has problems, you know, because I, I, Bradley Beal right. can take advantage of that. So maybe like Warriors don't get out of that, like you're saying, second tier, Ben. But like, I, I think they, they've got to take a shot at it. Like they can't do it for Giannis, no. but they got to take it. Yeah. I would take a shot at it for sure. I mean, I would be exploring all this stuff. I guess my point is like, this is a really tough time to be a buyer because first of all, Washington, I mean, they're defending Bradley Beal. Like, I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know, what they would even ask for in a deal. I mean, they, they just shoot everything down. They want to build around them. And I'm sure this late season run from the wizards, they're probably going to come out of it and be like, yeah, untouchable backcourt. Look at us. You know, we just got to maintain just need that to for add the entire one more season. Piece and we're good. Sharp right. is loving it. Sharp is loving it. <laughs> right. And so, and then with, with Kat, I mean, Minnesota has an awful lot invested in him. And that's why I think this draft lottery is going to be so fascinating because if they right. get to keep their pick, I think it actually potentially becomes a little bit easier to trade towns because you could try to sell people on like, Hey, here's the next generation of what this looks like. Right. If they lose their pick, then I feel like they have to cling to Towns at least for another year because otherwise, the D'Angelo you don't Russell think, trade. You don't think getting their like own disaster. pick. You don't think getting their own pick back and Wiseman is intriguing to them because then they could say they got Anthony Edwards, Jonathan Kuminga, and Wiseman. No, that just sounds, that, that just sounds like every other Wolves team in history, huh? Yeah, they're they're getting killed for that, right? And so I mean, but the cat the cat one's a great one. I think another guy coming down the pipeline in a few years would be like a Devin Booker, right? But these are guys to me that are still more than a year away from was, being traded. And like, so that's why they're kind of stuck in between here, where it's almost like maybe this is a 2022 summer, uh, you know, go and all I feel in like this is probably why you haven't gotten a bunch of pressure from staff. Uh, because I would imagine the front office has told him if someone comes available, like we'll sell all the kids. Yeah. We're we're thirsty. Trust us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, they probably tell him like, who, who did you want us to trade for that? We didn't trade for, you know, like uh, it's not like someone else got Giannis or Embiid that, which would probably be Steph's preferred, you know, stars to play with. Cause they're correct. And you know, and for his friends. Yeah, exactly. Um, Would you have done the Harden thing? Would you have outbid yeah. Brooklyn for Harden? In a, in a millisecond. And we don't even like – well, I don't even like the guy. I don't like watching him play. He's <laughs> I got I got a soft spot for lefties with beards. So, um, <laughs> you got more uh, so on your beard now. That's Sam. the one example where you would actually have to kind of like say, okay, well, you know, that could have been a possibility. But, but he, didn't think- wanna, he didn't want to go to the Warriors. And that's kind of right. – and that's, that's the second day. Ben Sources? I mean, I think everyone's sources knows Sam that sources. one by now. Uh, but been, I think I think the Warriors reported. didn't even want him. The Warriors didn't even want him. I think that's in the, is another. But did Steph want him? That's the more interesting thing. I know Steve yes. Kerr. I know Steve yes. Kerr didn't want him. Yes. What? <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, We're just yelling now, but yeah, it's but, but I mean, your your point is correct. Like everyone who's in that next generation of stars to move we're probably still like a year away from like, like Towns is under con Towns and Booker under contract till 2024. Going to be pretty hard to prime away three years early at 
outside of like some sort of weird nuclear option happening there. You know, like I, I just don't see who it is. I, that's why we spend so much time on Bradley Beal. He hasn't signed an extension. That's technically all we've got until he signs an extension. <laughs> there's all always an opportunity, you know, if he doesn't, he's a free agent the same summer as Steph. If he doesn't re-up this summer, Washington has to consider trading him, right? They have to like consider that he's probably going to walk for nothing. Every time he's been given the opportunity to re-up, he's re-up. And that's kind of the crazy thing. You know, I actually did a little story on Bradley Beal from the NBA award show a couple of years ago. And so I was like, you know, creeping around, slinking around backstage and they kind of set up this interview and I kind of sprung the question on him. Like, would you consider an extension? He hadn't talked about it at all at that point. And he was like, yeah, I would consider signing it. And the wizards were a complete mess while was out. And I wrote the story and I got like so much heat basically from Wizards fans being like, why the heck would Bradley Beal resign with us? That's like the dumbest thing ever. And then two months later, he did it, you know? So it's like, I don't know. He, he kind of likes being that franchise person in that community as well. Um, it, look, it's a pretty sweet gig. He gets like six month long off seasons every year, you know, like it's a pretty good setup there. So I, I don't know. Um, he's been a, a difficult person to read. I don't feel like his, motivations are necessarily the same as that like ad lebron camp of like i've got to get to a certain spot and maximize this that and the other thing like i think he's he's feeling pretty good about his life it's all we got sharp sharp in the light years boys that's all we got is bradley beal so we just talk about the same well, thing over and over what about brandon ingram would you would you guys go all in for him we were actually another- i would prefer brandon ingram i, I know sam maybe doesn't but I would. It's but more yeah, of a toss-up for I. I love Brandon Ingram as a player, but anyway, yes, I would do it. I would. I would go all in for Ingram anyway, because yes. he's, he's what twenty-three. I guess he's twenty-four now. He might be twenty-four. Yeah. Um, he's kind of at that perfect age of what you want. You know, someone who can actually compete, uh, but also someone who, when Steph's 35, 36, can be the focal point and kind of bridge the. The problem is like Wiseman's nineteen. We got by the time Wiseman gets there, he'll be yes. Steph will be uh, forty or whatever. In- Ingram was horrific in his early career, right? Like he was terrible, and then it and then he was amazing because it takes time. James Wiseman horrific this season. Then you know maybe he ends up being being pretty damn good in five years, but you know it's five years. Yeah, I'm not the world's biggest Brandon Ingram fan, but I do think he's like one of the better players who could be available, whether it's this summer or next summer. I just don't like the fit there in New Orleans. I think it'd be better off for him to move and either like putting him on a team with better talent and structure would be helpful, right? Or just giving him to some crappy team and saying like, hey, you can go back to being the point forward and doing everything you want. I think both of those situations are better than like, hey, try to run this awkward shotgun next to Zion and, you know, I mean, Stan Van Gundy, I don't know if you guys read his comments, but like... Uh, oh, yeah. Him and him and Steve Kerr, uh, one in the same, in which after losses, they opine about the national discourse. But after wins, they talk about basketball. Well, so I liked... Uh, he, he just darted Brandon Ingram this week. He was like, Brandon Ingram changed this game with his defensive intensity, and then he waited a beat, and he was like, that's not something I could say very often this year. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> wow. It's like shots wow. fired. I love it. it. Reminded me of the old days when uh, he used to just destroy Reggie Jackson, his starting point guard, who he paid like $85 million regularly in post-game press conferences. But I agree on that point from SVG, actually. Like, it, it would be one of those things where, if, let's say the Warriors did trade for Ingram, it would be like, here we go. Like, you know, it's everything is resuscitated. And then he shows up and it's like, well, 
he's going to have to play a lot harder on defense. He's going to have to lock in a lot more. He's going to have to adjust his offensive game to play with guys uh, who are so efficient, you know, compared why do you, to Why to do you think it hasn't happened that way in New Orleans? Because this is actually a perfect segue. The Warriors play the Pelicans Monday well, well and Tuesday. Done. Well done. Play in implications. Uh, I think the Warriors need – if the Warriors come out with a split, New Orleans is – it's going to be, it's going to be hard. They're just running out of yeah. games yeah, to, get, to get there. It'll be a split class. Um, but you look at the talent on paper, they shouldn't, they just shouldn't be below Memphis and San Antonio, you know, like that's Zion's a superstar. Ingram is an all-star Lonzo's a good player. Like we can go down the line. They have more than enough players that they should be good. And that's been just a rough watch. They don't defend. They look like they hate each other. I mean, the biggest thing that stands out to me is like, uh, they have the opposite of chemistry. It's a lot of like, okay, it's my turn. And then, you know, like, I don't know that they talk to each other off the court at all. Yeah. I mean, I see two big problems. I mean, first of all, the most obvious one is spacing, right. And like, you look at all the advanced numbers and it's amazing what Zion's been able to do in terms of like attacking the basket, given that it's pretty much always crowded and they don't really have tons of shooting to kind of uh, stretch it out. So you can imagine being Zion being an insane offensive player, like crazy numbers, MVP candidate in about two years if they can uh, rejigger this thing around him. So that's number one. Number two, the culture down there has been weird for a really long time. It's kind of hard to explain, but you know, there's not that thriving basketball community like there is in some other markets. They're such the little brother to the Saints. Like even when they traded for Demarcus Cousins, I was at that press conference in New Orleans right after the All Star weekend, and they did it at the Saints media room. You know. It's just like, you don't have your own media room. Like you don't have a setup here. Like what's your practice facility look like? And they're just not the priority. And I think that just kind of trickles down. Of course, it's a smaller market. So they don't have, uh, you know, the same visibility in these situations. And Zion's changed some of that, but I think it's just easier to fly under the radar to not make, you know, that incremental growth that you don't have the pressure of a fan base and of like national attention, like regularly on you to drive you along. Cause they've like, you know, they've changed GMs, they've changed coaches. Like it's, but it all seems the same. Like it, none of it seems yep. to matter. It just seems kind of, it seems well, almost remember, worse than like Sacramento. Well, a lot of their building blocks came there, not by choice. Right. Uh, they came there by the uh, Anthony AD Davis trade. trade. Yeah. And I mean, remember those guys got their taste of NBA life with the Lakers and you're getting to be on Showtime and every outfit you wear to every single game is like, uh, you know, big time news. I remember when I went to New Orleans to cover Zion's uh, debut game and Lonzo and Brandon Ingram were all kind of like congregating over where this big media crowd had showed up because it was the first time all year anybody showed up to their games and they're shooting jumpers to make sure they get their video on ESPN. You know, like you could just kind of feel like, hey, you guys all forgot about us. And that's tricky. And it did kind of feel like Zion, 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 Marsha, 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 you know, that whole Brady Bunch thing last year. And you know, again, he came after those guys did. So in a way, he's almost taking the franchise from them, especially, you know, for Ingram. So like if his motivations are, I can either like make myself into this ideal Scotty Pippen, number two guy, play off our new franchise player and accept my lot in life. Or I can coast to 25 points a game, never play defense and wait to get traded. Right. And to me, it kind of feels like he's chosen door number two. Wow. I mean, I that's that's like a supersized version of, of Kelly Oubre. It's not nearly the same, but like part of what the Warriors want to do He's is Oubre significantly is. more talented than Oubre. <laughs> but yes, it's it's not that it's it's more yeah. the mentality, right? Like the Warriors want him to come off the bench. They want him to do the little things. And Kelly Oubre is like, ah, you know, I just want to get paid and, and average 20 points a game. <laughs> you yeah. know, like that's kind of well, what I want to do. 
I thought those questions were ludicrous, by the way. When people were going to Kelly Oubre and being like, hey, are you willing to take a discount to stay with the Golden State Warriors? Like, right. what are you talking about, dude? Like, this team won, like, 15 games last year, and they're fighting for the 10th seed. Like, what are you talking about discount? Like, if I was – I mean, I actually admired Kelly Oubre's restraint in that situation. I think I would have lost it. Like, what do you yeah. want me to do? Are you, are you begging me for money in this interview right now? Do you want me to hand the money to you individually? <laughs> Like Sam and I were like, yeah, I mean, if we're Uber, why would we like, who cares? Like you're not good enough to, for, and, and also he's like 24, who also, 25. Who also no. says they're willing to take a discount? Like, yeah, that's true. Even well, that's if you're true. willing to, like, let's just yeah. say his, his end of the market is like 2 million less to stay with the Warriors or two extra million to go play for the Kings. Maybe he'd rather stay with the Warriors or something sure. like that. But like, why would you publicly be like, yes, Bob. In I'm willing to take <laughs> yeah. 50% of what anyone else pays me because I love my life in Soma right now. Well, yeah, exactly. It goes, it goes back to the exceptionalism and the light year stuff. It's like, Oh, right. as if it should be like his great honor to like mop right. up the gym at the practice facility. You know what I mean? I'm so glad to be here. No, like not everyone gets to now. rebound for staff. Right. They're, they're, they're another team now. And I think that's like part of the thing. I think the media is adjusting to it. Fan base is adjusting to it. Like Golden State's another team now. They've got a lot of the same problems that these other teams have in terms of recruiting and keeping talent. And you're not going to get the, I mean, there was a great run of, I mean, Barbosa, you know, the Iguodala move to keep David him. I mean, a, yeah. yeah, David West was an absolute, yeah, heist. Um, Livingston. I mean, it had a whole bunch of guys who gave them awesome, awesome minutes at crazy, yeah, whether it's discounts or just, you know, good market rate for those roles. Friendly. And, and um, it's tough because they just have less flexibility with those big contracts to make those kinds of deals. You have fewer slots. And then when you do come across a guy like Ubre, it's like, well, you know, he's at a different stage of his life than David West was, you know, trying to uh, to get it done at the very end of his career. Plus, we got to find minutes for Smiley Geach too. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just crowded, man. Real. You guys really have a problem with that guy. What's going on there? I mean, has has his family or agent reached out yet and been like, it's, "Hey, move on." You know, this, this is this is bullying. This is where this is, the, this is the point. This is the point of the podcast where the regular listeners can fast forward because they've heard this a few times. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's it's never about the uh, Alan Smilagic, right? It's never about him. He's he's just a he's just a by he's just an innocent bystander. You know, the bullets just hit him. They just go right through him. It's the front office. There was no reason for this guy to have a roster spot, number one. Number two, why they had to trade two twos to get him, right? Even if you feel like two twos will, aren't that great. I, but I know that you. that's not true, right? Like, those are important enough. It's just like why, there's the process. And I, I feel like you would understand. I, I feel like he's a proxy for every issue we have yes. with the front office. Yes. Ben, yes. I'm going to send you a reading list. I have no fewer than 10. <laughs> media articles about how light years ahead Kent Lakov is for scouting Smiley Geach in the third division of Serbia. Uh, so it's he's just joking. I'm not. Wasn't there a whole nother round of like, he's being stashed in Santa Cruz. Is that going to yeah, take yeah. the war? There's just so, so many, so many uh, pieces about how they broke the game, finding this guy and hiding him in Santa Cruz and all of that. And then we see him on the court. We're like, this guy. You know, it's like, cause he's, I mean, he, he looks exactly like a guy who's going to go back to Europe and then maybe, maybe he ends up back in the NBA in four or five years. Maybe not like he's going to play pro basketball somewhere. In my opinion, he's probably a EuroLeague player, but it's just like the amount of resources to a guy who at this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Point is non-NBA player. When we're watching Steph Curry, who's still playing at an MVP level, he won't win it, doesn't deserve to win it, but like he's still playing at that level is being subjected to like a roster of non NBA players and two way guys. And it's, that's where the frustration comes from. Otherwise Alan Smiley seems like a nice guy. No, I feel you. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I like his haircut, you know, it just reminds me of myself, but. Um... Look, no one's perfect. Even the best baseball players strike out with the bases loaded the best golfers sometimes three putt with the tournament on the line so if you feel like you're coming up short in the bedroom sometimes it's perfectly okay but if it's bothering you there are options go to roman.com slash light years now with roman you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ed all from the comfort and privacy of your home a u.s licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan if medication is appropriate, it ships to you free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com slash lightyears and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Go to getroman.com slash lightyears and get $15 off your first month. Look, there's a straightforward way to take care of your ED. Get roman.com slash light years. Get started now to save $15 off your first month of treatment. Witness Curry <laughs> thing on the usage rate and the MVP. Um, is this the new baseline, right? Like, I think I looked it up. I'm pretty sure his usage, I mean, depending on where you look, it was like 35 on, um, on NBA. I think it might have been like 37 on basketball reference for April. That seems like a great number. And it was like way up from basically any other month of his entire career. I think it was his highest usage rate month of his you know, entire tenure, which is no surprise because he was sharing, you know, the basketball in his best years with KD. And um, you right. know, he had the MVP, the, the, yeah, and Clay, the unanimous MVP year. Why is this not the new baseline? Isn't this what we should be doing for the next three years? I mean, hope you'd hope they get talent in there so he doesn't have to play like borderline martyr ball. That would be the preferred outcome for me. Yeah, I, I think as much as Sam and I do love, at least I do love uh, saying that Steve Kerr needs to put the ball in his hands more. I would prefer that not to, him not to play Harden Luka basketball. Because because well, what, what I'm seeing, though, is he's shooting, what, 52, 
40, I mean, like just insane splits, like yeah. as far back as he wants to step, I mean, he's shooting all these 30 footers, right. More than basically ever. He's taking more shots really than he's ever had to. The efficiency numbers are still staying insane. Like the difference there is that he hasn't hit the part where like it drops the off. Decline. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's yeah, no he number. He has it maxed out. There's no number of shots, which is too much for Steph. I, like there's no point where it's like, Oh, if he starts shooting too much, we're going to start seeing a dip in efficiency. It's like, it's, he's going to be fine. I think it's more just like, does his body allow him to take 25 shots I, a night for eternity? I also think like you talked about Steph wanting to put pressure on the front office. Like at some point, like it's what Steph wants, but I don't know if Steph wants to shoot 35 times a game. I like, actually he doesn't, it's not what he wants to do. He wants, he wants clay back. He wants to play that 2015 style of basketball. Like that is his preference. And, and it's the same thing with the pressure. It's like, yeah, I mean, if he wanted to ask for a trade out, like he'd be gone. <laughs> it's like James Harden, right? Or if he had asked for James Wiseman off this team, like LeBron would have Wiseman off this team two years ago. <laughs> like, not like you, Jordan Poole, he's gone. He, he would have, he would have had Bob Myers off the team for even going and scouting him. <laughs> Steve Kerr, gone. Get this fucking guy out of here, right? Like, like these guys would be absolutely gone if, it, if it, but like Steph is not that guy. I think Steph's preference is also not to play this type of, of basketball. If, if he, like, if he has to, he, he do it. But I also think like, that's kind of the problem too. Like Steph, like a lot of times this season, we get annoyed that Steph doesn't come in with eight minutes left in the game. It's like, right. if you come in two minutes earlier or one minute earlier, you win the basketball game that simple. Right. And you add that up across Probably three games in the standings eight. immediately. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Like at least you can say six games. He comes in, maybe they win four of those, right. Four and two. And he plays two more minutes. And I love yelling at Kerr. We all love yelling at Kerr. But you think Steve Kerr is going to sit there if Steph says, hey, coach, I'm going in. I think Steve's going to say, no, no, no. You sit, You think he's going to college basketball coach him? You think he's going to say, right. right? Like, part of that's on Steph, you know, I think. Yeah, well, I'm okay with the minute stuff this year because I didn't really see where it was going, right? So three games in <laughs> standings, congratulations, like whatever. But I guess what I'm saying is if he does sign this, like whatever the ludicrous extension number would be, do we know the number that it could be, by the way? Like, I'm, I'm picturing About like 55. 50 million. It, it, okay. it gets up to it gets up to sixty, but we'll, it's it's around fifty five average. So look, I mean, I think that's the moment when you sign a contract that's like you know whatever three hundred million dollars. That's the moment where it's time to channel the dark side to let the the equality basketball go to waste, right? And it's now time to just be this guy who's the the thirty seven usage who can hit every single shot and run that out for next year. Clay's not going to be able to pick up that much of the burden from you. It's actually worked pretty well. And if you manage his minutes, I think it could be relatively sustainable. Um, and just look, find some, just find in, some goons to defend. He doesn't need spacing, apparently. Like no. <laughs> that's the one thing we found out this year. Like it, it doesn't matter. So no, absolutely, because he just keeps pushing it back further and further. And like you're saying, he's getting better and better at creating the quick trigger shots um, as he's gone. I mean, his ball handling has gotten better to me. Um, his understanding of spacing and reading defenses and. Yeah, I don't know. I just think like as my regular season formula, if I'm in a situation where I'm not anticipating to make a deep postseason run, I would be coming in next year and being like, Steph, we're about to pay you $55 million. So that means you get to take 28 shots. Good luck. You know, that's how I would do it. We want at least a shot for every 2 million. That's what we're looking for here. Um, what are we paying for you, Steph? You know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree I with Every you. once in a while, like that video of him like that was going viral the other day where he's like so excited when he hits that three, right? Let's channel that energy, right? Let's let's get into the little the, the bad guy stuff because 
you can play this good guy basketball as long as you want. It's not going anywhere, and it's not as entertaining to me. Yeah, yeah. we had a we had a question on our last locker room show. I want to. I'm curious your opinion on this. Is this the worst roster a top five <laughs> player has been surrounded by in their prime? Um, that was from Mike Mikas, regular listener. It's you know, a the, it's a it's a great first, question. The first one that comes to mind is Kobe 06. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'm really struggling to think of any others in the last 20 years where I LeBron, feel like LeBron. Oh, come on. LeBron every year. LeBron every year doesn't <laughs> win. Come on. Yeah. I would, I would take those 2009 Cleveland Cavaliers over this Warriors roster any day of the week. Like they're, it's a low upside, but it's high floor. It's such a difficult comparison because, like, when you look back at those names, you're just like, oh, my God, there's just absolutely no skill level. It's just a bunch of, like, you know, uh, you know, bruisers and guys who are averaging, like, seven points a game. You're just like, how did he even do it? But a 7.5, yeah. (laughs) Right. um, But it was just such a different game back then. I think that's a fascinating question. I mean, where are you guys in terms of, like, Draymond's value right now? Because I've seen a lot of, like just debates about that. Like in some ways he's still super duper valuable. I know he's, you know, his own biggest advocate in some of these conversations about how much he's passing and how much he's playing defense. That's the clutch um, effect. Yeah. Well, sell yourself. Like no one else is going to sell you. Right. That's why I've got a book over my shoulder right now as we're talking, <laughs> um, <laughs> but bubble ball pre-order today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I, I still view Draymond as a valuable piece, but a significantly less valuable piece than he was a couple of years ago when I was all in on the Draymond hype train. And if that's the best you've got to work with, you know, Wiggins is fine to me. Everybody else, you know, it's pretty rough. Um, Take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah, and really leave it. I mean, frankly, like that could be someone <laughs> else's problem. And that's been, kind of been my attitude, honestly, towards your team this entire season. It's like, this doesn't have to be my burden. Like, I'm just going to watch you guys suffer because – these ups and downs, trying to talk yourself yes. into the, you know, the crazy wins. I mean, I just don't have the the patience and the heart for it. No disrespect, but it's like, yeah, they'll come back around, you know, sometime down the road. So I guess by that notion alone, given that they've made me tune out, this could be in the conversation for the worst, uh, you know, the, the worst supporting cast. As much as I love watching Steph and have watched almost all of his April games, um, it just took him too long to get there for me. It's it's been a hard watch, even though Steph has been phenomenal. It's sometimes like I've I watch a lot of these games. Not sometimes, about twenty games in the season. I just said, even though Steph's having a great game, I really I, it's not that I don't care. It just actually hurts more. It's yeah, like, it's it hurts more when you have to watch the players around him. Yeah, Steph but then but then Steph hits a shot, and you're like, is he gonna? <laughs> um, is he going is he for fifty now? Yeah, like, is he going for twenty? Yeah, yeah. it's. It, yeah. It's uh, that's that's the uh, the the thing with basketball, and you have one transcendent guy in an awful team. All it takes is them hitting like one turnaround shot, and you like are back invested in. The well, I will say, Warriors fans, so. if you're going to compare it to Kobe and 06, Warriors fans are um, there. There is there is some good Laker fan anger coming out of them, at, at, and I and I, I really like I that. really wish we were able to have fans in that, like if, you know, pandemic aside, it would have been really fascinating to see how like a packed house reacts to this team night in night out just watching like steph and a bunch of whatever guys, like right like, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean rick wells you know <laughs> yes yeah, i don't would they have gotten it booed i mean I, the team that needed to get booed for the first half of the season was the boston celtics and i wanted to like there to be a special dispensation so they could let the celtics fans into td garden you know get them all spaced out just solely to boo that team before the all-star break i don't know if they would have gotten maybe they would have gotten booed i don't know 
we're not East Coast. Like, Warriors fans aren't, they're not Philly. We're not Philly. We're not Boston. Yeah. Like, I don't think we're, we're that. The old, the old Oracle might have booed. Like, I just say, I just don't even I know. Don't, like, yeah. it, it's, it's an unknown. Like we said, build this, like, palace that's going to print money. Steph breaks his hand, like, the third home game. And then, you know, you watch like 40 games of Kai Bowman and then a pandemic hits. Like, well, I, I don't I, even know what the atmosphere there is. Gonna I think be like. I think I know. I think what would happen is just Warriors fans would just say, I just I'm not going to show up. Mm. I'm not going to pay three hundred dollars to show up and watch this game in your freaking absurd, you know, arena. But that, might even, that might even be better. Those tickets be will be put down at like fifty dollars on StubHub. Then you get the fans in there who that would, is true. Fair point. Who would uh, who boo would the boo. hell out of them? Who would yeah. boo? Fair so, point. Fair point. Fair point. I don't know. It's a. I'm just curious to see Chase Center when real, like in a full house with real, with real stakes, like a game that matters, not a preseason game against the Lakers. Yeah. Um. Sure. Let's uh. Yeah. Let's talk about the book before we get out of here. Yeah. And just let's talk about that for 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 a second. You wanna you wanna talk about how the Lakers won the fakest title in uh, in the history of basketball for a couple of seconds? No, Look, don't tell me you're the, the same guy who runs <laughs> Kevin Durant out of the Bay Area is gonna be one of these guys on Twitter who's replying late Mickey. I mean, really, is this <laughs> is this what you've become, Andy? This is terrible, Sam. You gotta smack this guy around every you once in a while. Downloaded, you didn't any Andy downloaded a different emoji pad just so he had all the different versions of Mickey Mouse to throw at the Laker fans. Um, but let's I got a question for you. Okay, the Warriors weren't in the bubble. Why should Warrior fans read bubble ball? Well, the Warriors are mentioned a little bit, uh, you know, in the, in the first half of the book, in the discussion of how quickly Steve Kerr wanted no part of it, right? I mean, remember how aggressively <laughs> he was coming out saying like, hey, our season's over. We don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think that was actually an important stage of the bubble planning. I mean, look, this thing was not guaranteed to happen, right? And so this book covers basically from the March shutdown through October when the the Lakers were crowned the title and LeBron James so graciously covered me in champagne during the championship celebration because they had nobody else to celebrate with because it was an empty building. Um, That stage was really touch and go, right? And a lot of people were scared. Personally, from a health standpoint, I was scared out of my mind. Like this idea of going down to Disney World and being surrounded by like, you know, 350 players. All it takes is one guy to go to a strip club, not tell anybody, come back and get people sick. And that was really the mentality. Uh, so we're going to discuss the, rock, the Rockets chapter right now. Okay. There is there yeah there's some Rocket stuff and there's certainly the Lou Williams uh you know sidebar That's as amazing. well. <laughs> That's amazing. But but the teams that didn't go down there they they were reflective of a lot of thoughts you know even from you know the quote unquote middle class teams where it's like hey if we don't have a chance at winning a title and this is a pandemic and this is life and death and Carl Anthony Towns' mother has died and it's kind of touched the NBA community like what do we do why are we why are we participating in this and it took a lot of shared will by the superstar level players, but also a realization of just being flat out honest saying, look, we got to do this because we need the money and we need to keep this sport going. Otherwise we're in deep trouble to kind of pull this whole thing together. And so I think if Warriors fans are interested in the, um, the business part of the story that's in there um, also the social justice activism. I know a lot of Warriors players were out front on that, including Steph yeah, yeah. Um, is a big layer of this book as well. And bottom line, like if you're a Warriors fan, you're a basketball fan. And this book for me is for the diehards. You know, I mean, you guys know me. I've been grinding it out since 2007. Um, You know, I this book dominated my life. I mean, I pretty much was writing five or six hours a day every day for two months straight to kind of get this thing done. And um, I just think it's, you know, it's a universal book. Like there's something in it for everybody. And it's really a time capsule. Like we're going to look back in 10 or 20 years and be like, how the heck did they send a whole bunch of Hall of Famers to Disney World to decide this title? 
what were the rules like? What were the regulations from a health and safety standpoint? Were the games good? Were they not good? Um, what were the personalities involved? And just, you know, how did they even get there? It's going to sound surreal. And it felt surreal as it happened. So I was there 93 days and it's, it's a first person book. You know, I, I mean, obviously it's reported and I'm, I'm bringing in, you know, LeBron stuff, Lakers stuff, Kobe stuff, but also the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler, you know, really covering all the teams who were there. Uh, but for me, it's it's kind of my journey from being so disappointed and depressed and upset when the league shut down in March to like the excitement of it bringing back, but the nerves and then ultimately the payoff in October. I I do appreciate you sending me the book and I'm a couple chapters in and it is it is really good. It's uh, I was being a little facetious about why Warrior fans should read it. Uh, just making fun a little of aggressive, that honestly, not very nice. I'm up here <laughs> Sunday morning you know, graciously giving you all my time. You're <laughs> coming at me. Like, why should anyone read the book? They should read it. Cause I wrote it, Sam. <laughs> you know, I'll be out there promoting for you. <laughs> Is there, um, I wanted to ask you this. Are there any great stories that you can tell that didn't make it into the book? Like something that you're just like, I wanted this in there, but it's just, people don't need the odyssey. They don't need 600 pages. Yeah, you know, the, the thing that I wound up cutting the most was actually um, Kobe reflections. I mean, that was a big part of 2020 for me. And so this book is framed within the China controversy with Hong Kong, Kobe's death, David Stern's death, the health shutdown with the pandemic, and then this idea of we're trying to pull it all back together. And I, I came down here my first year in L.A. after moving from Portland was Kobe's last season. And you guys will probably remember I made the choice rather than seeing Kobe's last game to go to the Warriors 73rd victory that same night right. because I was convinced that was like going to be the more historic moment. So I completely blew that. So I had a, probably like five or six pages defending myself on why I did that. And like, you know, kind of trying to put it in the NBA's context of how good that Warriors team was and how it was kind of amazing that Kobe stole that moment from them with his last game. But ultimately like, and there was a, a lot of, you know, a good detour about, Kobe's the death of, uh, of Kobe and its impact on last year's Lakers season and just how it threw everything for a loop and how they had to kind of rally back around together. And, you know, I, I was at the crash site in LA afterwards interviewing people. And so there was a lot of material there, but ultimately like only a little bit of that needed to be in the bubble story. I mean, it was kind of tangential and it would almost probably be for a different book, right? People could easily write books and books and books about Kobe. So that was the biggest cutting room floor thing. Um, in general, I got pretty much everything I wanted in it, in part because I wanted this to be kind of a quick and breezy read. Like, it's a heavy topic material when you're ever talking about the pandemic, especially as because we're still living in it right now. So it's kind of tricky to relive. So I didn't want it to be a slog. I did want to hit the emotional tough moments, Jacob Blake's uh, police shooting, Breonna Taylor's ruling, how that impacted the players. But I didn't want this to like get people down, right? And, you know, it's supposed to be a basketball book. And so um, I, I think most of the stuff that I wanted in there got in there. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see the 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 boycott. Um, how you covered that one? Like some of that stuff mid mid bubble because it was just you. There were a lot of people even before the bubble happened was like, hey, this isn't going to happen. And then when the bubble happened, was saying, well, this isn't going to finish. And right. uh, that stuff is fascinating, especially if you like basketball, because yeah. that stuff that's it's just when is this ever going to happen again? I mean, fingers crossed. Almost, never. I almost like, almost forgot about that. Like after the bubble completed, you forget how uh, in the middle it was almost like they're ready to all walk away. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it was pretty tight. I mean, like I, that's probably the heart of the book to me. Um, I went through the day of the shutdown almost like minute by minute to kind of reconstruct it and, and give you sort of like a, a TikTok version of it where it's like, OK, this happened and this happened and this happened. 
So I was kind of like snooping around the Orlando Magic locker room when, when, because I was one of only three reporters who was there when the Bucks didn't show up originally. Everybody else kind of came afterwards. So they send the Magic back to their locker room. I'm kind of like peeking in the door. I could see Vucevic, and he's just like, what the heck is going on? Like they had no clue why the Bucks weren't there. What did it mean? Um, and they actually wound up getting out of the arena pretty quick. They, they didn't, you know, they were just sort of like, well, this is, this is bigger than us. So we're is this out. the chapter where you tell us that Kim Birch was the one who brokered the piece and got everyone back to playing? Um, no, I didn't, I didn't get that detail for you, but I mean, I, we were kind of like right by the Bucks locker room, kind of able to hear some of those speakerphone conversations they're having when they're calling back to the lawmakers in Wisconsin, they're calling back to Jacob Blake senior to get his take on things. And we were out, it was a good old fashioned stakeout. We were outside that locker room for three hours. The, the Bucks had it kind of planned things perfectly. They were in there talking so long, their locker room in this little gym in Disney world didn't have a bathroom. So the Bucks players are coming out every once in a while after being in there for like an hour and a half, the entire world is like waiting to hear their statement at this point, because the whole news has already spread globally. And they're like coming out to go, you know, use the bathroom and then just kind of like sheepishly shuttling, uh, shuffling back into the locker room to kind of, uh, you know, continue their conversations, which, you know, wound up taking most of the day. So um, you're going to feel like you were there for that decision. And then I get into the aftermath stuff too. Ultimately money went out again when they put the bubble back together, right? If they walk away, that's the players blowing the bubble up and the owners, that's huge leverage for the owners, right? If the players say, Hey, we just can't do this. We're out. The owners are going to understand those feelings. Just like they, you know, tried to support the players with their political statement, of course, but if the players just say, we're done halfway through the bubble. Sorry. You spent all this money to build that's, it. We're not going to play out the finals. That the CBA is getting ripped up and that's that, coming out of the player's pocket, right? Yep. That was the fascinating part to me. It's like, I was just like, there's no way they're actually canceling this. LeBron's not letting this happen. Uh, you know, like, I don't, I don't know any of the veterans, any of the guys that get paid a lot of money, they're looking at this from a business perspective and saying, so that's, that's the stuff where I'm just like, okay, I want, I kind of, I want to see what you know, behind the scenes. I also follow you on Instagram during, uh, when you were, uh, when you were, when you were, uh, quarantining, what was it? Two weeks oh, yeah. By yourself, and I was like, "Ooh, no, yeah. it's it's terrible that my entire reputation has become the guy who was pacing back and forth in his hotel yes. room, looking like a crazy person." You, that was a, you, that was a big part of the whole story, though. When we first got down there, I was doing interviews from all over the world, and people essentially the questions were, "Do you think you're about to die?" I mean, that was kind of the angles that people were taking because <laughs> they just, you know, everybody was like, "This is a sci-fi experiment. This could go horribly wrong." If it does, like all these, people, you know, relatively yeah. well-known people are going to be at risk. So. Uh, yeah, yeah that you. was that was my hamster wheel moment. How many how many steps did you get in in your room? I know you pay. I know you paced yourself at some point to see. Did you get eight miles walking back and forth in a hotel room? So the first, so I had I used the Apple Watch religiously, right. and at that point I was using a Fitbit too. So like I and I was really trying <laughs> to get fit, and I had lost a lot of weight during the uh, during the pandemic because I was so stressed out after the um, the season shut down. I didn't know where we were going. Like I've got nothing else going on in my life without basketball. Like what the heck am I even going to do? Right. It was like a lot of long runs. (laughs) Right. So I'm just walking around my neighborhood going crazy. And so I didn't want my streaks to die, but the first couple of days in the, in the hotel room, I was like, well, what am I even going to do? I'm stuck here for a week. This is just going to have to be a shutdown week. So be it by day three, I was so antsy, right? Because we couldn't leave for any reason. The only reason why we could leave uh, was to go out the front door to get our nose swabbed and immediately come back inside. So um, we had the window didn't even open up. I couldn't get fresh air. I mean, it was like a box, right? So I just started doing eight paces back and forth, eight, one direction, turn around eight, the other direction. I think I got it. I think my high was like nine miles during that week, um, wow. which, 
Wow. Again, that's think, think about it. It's two and a half hours, almost three hours of pacing back and forth because you can't get up to speed really, right? So my watch wasn't and, even and it's a hotel room. Much no matter how nice it is, it's still just one room. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And it was, it was a very simple, like two queen bed, you know, your typical room. Like if you had a family right. of four driving down with the Honda Odyssey from uh, Illinois for a Disney world vacation, that's where they're staying. Right. So I couldn't even walk fast enough to get my watch to record it as like real exercise because, you know, you can only walk so fast, like, you know, eight steps at a time. So it Sheesh. was, um, it wow. gave me a different feeling about confinement um, for sure. But I would also say like, during that experience, I came away from it thinking that, you know, there was a lot of jokes. This is sort of like a white collar prison or, you know, players would say, it feels like I'm going away to do a bid. This was not that, right? We all knew exactly how long it was going to last. We all could have left at any moment if we wanted to. And so I think that kind of gave me a different appreciation for like, man, like people who are really locked up, like that's crazy. Like I, I don't know how I would handle it. Um, and it, it just the mental toll of even just doing one week where right. you have to come up with these things was was so tough that like I actually thought some of those comparisons were really unfair. And it wasn't just people in the bubble making them. I think commentators from the outside were, were, were kind of saying stuff like that, too. And that just wasn't, wasn't it, right. Wasn't it Michelle Roberts, too? Wasn't wasn't she part of that? I, yeah, I mean, not to go too much. Well, into that, but no. The part the part on that was, I mean, the security was a real deal, man. I mean, there was NBA security, Disney security local cops and sheriffs right so if you know like they they were not playing games and i think that was her big concern is like well wait a minute we have a bunch of african-american men essentially right. being held captive in a hotel by law enforcement this feels weird particularly during this presidential election campaign and during these protests right so i understand her point there um but you know ultimately like to keep everybody safe they had to lock it down really really tight and it worked i mean Bottom line is the health and safety and security plans worked. Now, was it so overbearing that the players were like, we're never doing this again? Yes. Like as soon as we got out of there, it was like, we're not doing another bubble. Everybody kind of agreed to that. But for this one point in time, it actually worked out. And for me, the trade-offs were worth it. Like I had to wear this little buzzer, you know, anywhere. I, if I got too close, people would start beeping. You know, it was like a smoke detector around my neck. Oh, they, were track, they were tracking me with my hotel key card. I mean, that's how they were. Um, you know, catching people who are violating the rules and all that. Uh, I mean, okay. okay. This was this was Big Brother stuff, man. I was yeah. walking around one night. Okay. I was walking around one night. The uh, security guard rolled up and said, "Let me see your credential." You know, like they were just like, you know, yeah. straight out of a movie. Like, who are you? What are you doing here? Good thing I had it with me. You know what I mean? So this was a pretty intense experience, um, but ultimately it was successful. So, yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Shit. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the sales pitch right there. I mean, that's, I didn't know about the, uh, the big brother stuff that that's, that's fascinating and also terrible. Fucking like, <laughs> everyone, like everyone check it out. Tell, yeah, tell everyone check when, it out. Wow. When can yeah. they uh, officially buy the book? Uh, releases Tuesday, May 4th. Uh, you can get it anywhere. Nice. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Powell's. I mean, pretty much anywhere you get books. I did the audio book too. So, you know, it's, that coming it's out almost the same as, day? Uh, I think it's like May 18th for the audio book. Mm -hmm. It's, cool. I mean, it's almost as long as this podcast has been, to be honest. So, you know, you kind of fit it in. But uh, no, I it was, man, I'll tell you what. You want to talk about humbling experiences, um, you know, playing with James Wiseman, probably number one. But number two would be uh, reading your own work, like, out loud for, like, 20 hours straight to make an audio book. I mean, that will really... So you had to actually you. narrate it. I thought that um, audio books yeah. often, they just got someone who's, like, a pro at yeah. narrating. Yeah, did Ethan do his own? I feel like I don't, I don't remember, but that's that's wild that you did your own. I, I wanted to do it because like it's a first person story, so I felt like it was that's natural awesome. in my voice. Yeah, and I had a bunch sense. of like pod, I had a bunch of podcast listeners who were like requesting it, 
and they paid for it. So I was like, all right, well, this seems like a win, win, win until you're in the middle of it. And you're like, man, like you're really reading this out loud. You know, like (laughs) I want to, you want to do the edits like mid, you know, mid, mid recording session, but you got to do what you got to do. Why did I put a semicolon there? Terrible. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. No, that's Um, it. That's the, about two weeks. Yeah. So everyone, everyone pick it up. Uh, We will be doing locker room Monday night after the Pelicans game. And then uh, as you guys listen to that and how angry Andy is Tuesday morning, you can also pick up a copy of bubble ball and read that. And that'll give you a little perspective, a little Zen. (laughs) It'll make you feel better about your life. All right. I went to the bubble. So you didn't have to look at it that way. All right. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) No, we really put that caption on. We yeah. really appreciate that. That's what we'll title the, the pod. Ben went to the bubble, so we didn't have to. <laughs> appreciate it, Ben. Thanks, guys. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.